Howdy folks, Craig here. In this episode, Matthew Peterson reveals why Neverborn players are so excited about Dreamer in Malifaux 3rd Edition. You'll have no trouble staying awake when you hear all his secrets, including the upgrades he always takes and the first model he hires into every Dreamer crew. You non-Dreamer players out there are going to want to pay close attention or Dreamer will be spanking you with a cricket bat in your next matchup. Before we jump in, we have a special offer from our friends at Gadzooks Gaming. Now, Gadzooks has always been one of my favorite online retailers because of their unique selection and great customer service. They're probably best known for selling individual Malifaux models, so you don't have to buy an entire crew box for just that one model you need. Check them out as you start building your crews for 3rd edition. They're offering our U.S. and Canadian listeners a sweet deal. Free shipping on all orders over $100. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR, one word, T-H-I-R-D. And using that promo code helps us bring you content on this podcast and our YouTube channel. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and use the promo code THIRDFLOOR. All the details are in the show notes. Now on to the episode. There's masters in this game and three that uh, you can't let them you can't let them do what they want to do for that long. And now the, the nastiest part about this particular attack action is the trigger on a mask, which you will be using stones for. I promise you. With all the masks that Dreamer needs and um, how card hungry he sounds like he can be, that you're under a lot of pressure when you're playing him. Can we talk a little bit about the Lucid Dreams and the deck manipulation? All right. So the next big question is that there are six soul stones, right? Yes. Would you hire them at seven? Be Uh, honest. There are few things better than stepping away from the screens. Unplugging and sitting around a table to do battle with your friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars brings you the latest strategies, tactics, and reviews on board games, card games, and miniature games like Malifaux. If you want useful information on the games you already play, or new insights on great games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Neverborn Master Dreamer and how the Nightmare Crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guest is Matt Peterson. You're likely familiar with his contributions to the forums and A Weird Place. He's a very he's very active in the growing Pacific Northwest meta. With multiple games with Dreamer and the Nightmare Crew under his belt, he has generously agreed to let me pick his brain. So, Matt, welcome to the third floor. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. So, obviously, we're going to talk about Dreamer, um, but I would like to first kind of get a sense of how you found Malifaux. Absolutely. I am one of the many guests that you've had on the show um, talk about their origins in gaming in Warhammer Fantasy Battles. So, my brother and I started early, young, pushing around block troops on the table. Um, got into the tournament scene pretty heavy uh, with, with Warhammer Fantasy. I mean, it was a, a really huge game up here in the Northwest. We had large tournaments that brought people from all over the country and even 
folks from England, you know? So um, when that game imploded, you know, I was left in the dust to kind of find something else to do. Um, Wanted to give AOS a shot, but, you know, unfortunately that game just uh, (laughs) never seemed to pan out for me. So uh, with, with that, I was kind of on a quest to find something new. Um, My brother had mentioned, Hey, why don't you check out Malifaux, you know, something that he'd been into and played in tournaments. And, you know, I'd always eyed it from, from a distance, but never something I'd gone to their website or looked at the models really in in depth or the rules. And, um, you know, I was hooked, you know, once I went to the, uh, it was, um, fourth, I guess the fourth wave. Um, so zip was just released Titania. Uh, those nice. So yeah. So sort of late, uh, second edition was when I got into the game. So, all right. So you're like, literally like the, I don't know, 30th person I've talked to even offline or on the podcast that went from fantasy to Malifaux. And I, I really like, I kind of know the answer to this, but I'd like to hear your perspective. What do you, th- why do you think that is? Why do you think that Malifaux found so many uh, fantasy players? And we know why they left fantasy, right? But, but why do you think it was Malifaux that so many of them found a home? Well, something that happened late in Warhammer Fantasy Battle was the Swedish comp system, um, which added another layer of complexity to building your army list. Um, It sort of graded the OP elements that everyone saw and and made them factor higher in your Swedish comp score. So we sort of had this balancing act of not only building armies based off your point values, what works in the game, what doesn't work, but you have to weigh it against a comp system that was nuanced, um, that changed, and that really challenged all of us players to come up with stuff that was fair uh, to, against the field and really execute our tactical ability to you know, complete missions on the field and use armies that weren't completely OP and broken. So, so I, well, I, and that's, I think that's very cool. And, and, um, you know, towards the end of two, we, there was, there was talk of, you know, putting comp in place for Malifaux. Um, and so I, I can see where that complexity added an extra layer, but I, I guess I'm trying to understand Matt. like, how does that translate to Malifaux? Like, like, uh, uh, I get a sense that fantasy play, a certain segment of fantasy players, a lot of them went to AOS and, and love it there. And I've heard that AOS is a really good game. Um, so don't misinterpret this as a bash of that game. Um, though I do wish that GW in general made rules as good as they made models. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm trying to figure out, you know, it, it was there something that you found in fantasy especially with that Swedish comp system, maybe that made you feel at home in Malifaux or is there something about Malifaux that you didn't have in fantasy and it made you happy? Like I'm trying to understand the transition of why Malifaux stuck for so many fantasy players. Absolutely. And, and, and again, that was kind of a tangent into Swedish comp, but it, it does segue into why Malifaux works for us. Um, and, and I believe it has to do with the layers of decision-making um, mm-hmm. That, that doesn't require going online or looking at tournament results and seeing what the field is using and winning with and merely copying that and, and kind of adopting that mentality into your own play style. The Swedish comp allowed people to really find their own personality within Warhammer Fantasy Battle, which is what Malifaux essentially does with the myriad of models that you can choose from, masters, um, tactical approaches. I mean, the, the game is just chocked full of variety, but... 
it's all balanced in a sense that the, the, the volume of decisions the players have to make is the key importance in the game, not necessarily the power of each individual model. I see what you're saying. So like, unlike 40K, where the latest net list is what everybody brings to the next event, you're saying that because of that comp system, it really allowed players to um, have a little bit more agency in the process and, and really kind of find find their own thing and compete based off of the quality of their play versus what models they brought to the table. Yeah, and in a way, it also uh, tackled power creep, too, because in, right. in, in that world, it's all about the newest, latest models, and they typically are better models than what has been previously released. So with that, you know, Swedish Comp allowed you to look deeper into, you know, some of the more basic models that had effectiveness in the field of play if you use them correctly, and that translates directly to Malifaux. And when yep. you're hiring a bunch of five-stone minions because the pool says – bring a bunch of five stone minions and challenge your opponent to chase you because they're looking to kill you. And the pool says you can score more schemes or what, whatever the situation may be. It, it, it really allows you to focus on all of the tools available and how to utilize them. Yeah. I think you touched on what I think is um, probably the secret weapon, which isn't a secret about Malifaux. And that is the way that they structure the wind conditions, the way that the, the pools work. And, you know, you're starting to see, some games fool around with it a little bit. Even GW is starting to fool around with that idea a little bit. But uh, I'm amazed that more games have not just straight up copy and pasted and lifted the idea. Because if someone you know pinned me to a corner and said, what is the one thing that makes Malifaux Malifaux and makes you love it so much? I have to start with the pools. Yeah, absolutely. It It's the whole poker bluff playing your opponent and their body language intentions, what you perceive their intentions to be, and then vice versa, you know, which cup has the poison in it. You're constantly playing that with your opponent, regardless of what models they brought. Obviously the knowledge of those models will help in your decision-making, but ultimately, you know, what's your opponent telling you through their actions and their decisions? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so good. It's so good. So good. Um, but I, it, uh, everybody's really surprised you and I are fanboys, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about Dreamer and the Nightmare Crew. So um, what I what I plan to do, Matt, is really kind of dig deep into kind of how, how do you build a, a Nightmare Crew? Um, I want to get a sense of, you know, how the crew plays, how Dreamer plays, um, and um, ultimately get a sense of, you know, how you use a Nightmare Crew to, to win matches. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about how that relates to the scheme pools, the strategy pools, and uh, we'll even talk about, you know, how to counter some of that power. So let's, let's give the listeners a quick overview of dreamer and, and let's imagine that uh, someone listening right now, Matt has never, never seen dreamer on the table. They've never played dreamer, never read his cards. And uh, you know, what, what is, what is dreamer? Absolutely. This is exciting for me because Dreamer was the master that I clicked on the web page and thought, hey, I got to get into this game. I mean, his, his fluff and where he comes from, his story is just it's just excellent. It's it's original um, and it inspired me to go out and buy models. So with that, you know, he is the quintessential summoner for the Neverborn faction. With that, um, with the summoning elements, he also is a support master. Um, he's going to help his models uh, be more effective in killing enemy models. Um, that is what the crew is, is designed to do as a whole. Um, he has a little bit of damage elements on his card. He's able to reach out and, and do a bit of damage um, 
notably his twist reality um, attack action, which is a ranged gun action. Um, it ignores armor and incorporeal with a two, three, four damage track. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So w- with that, um, his, his summoning is really central to, to what he's doing. Um, his main mechanic or his main keyword ability on most of his models is going to be feed on fear. All right. And this says after an enemy model within the model's engagement range fails willpower duels, they heal one damage. Oh, okay. So basically anytime you have one of your nightmares out there engaging an enemy model and you're ticking away at them with willpower attacks or their own terrifying checks against some of those models, uh-huh. Any failure means they're they're healing a point of damage. That that kind of has a feel of like M two E Seamus a little bit, um, where where you're you know you're 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 capitalizing off of failed willpower duels. That's very neat. Absolutely, and that kind of leads into how Dreamer's summoning mechanic works. You know, in this game, um, all summoners pretty much have summoning upgrades that attach to their models when they're summoned. So Dreamers is, is special in that when he does summon a model, they come in stunned and they come in buried. Oh, okay. So kind of kind of funky. Um, it, it, it feels like Terra um, in a yeah. way. She gets them out with a different mechanic. Uh, what Dreamer has to do to get these models on the field is have enemies fail willpower duels, either through friendly actions or abilities. But I... I it, <sighs> It doesn't cease to amaze me how thematic that these guys were able to make three. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, summoning summoning was a problem in two. Um, and, and I think everybody realized that. And obviously the designers did as well. And not only did uh, um, those guys, I think, do a good job of of making summoning still part of the game, um, but controlling it. But. Like every time I'm doing one of these deep dives or I'm talking to somebody like every one of the factions has some sort of summoning and it's all very different. But what you just said completely fits with with how Dreamer works. Um, And before we move on, Matt, I want to learn a lot more about um, how that summoning works because it's very unique. Um, Can you explain to everybody exactly kind of thematically what, what Dreamer is? I mean, we know the model's a little boy. But um, I, I think there might be people that don't really understand just how cool Dreamer is. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a good point. We should probably have delved a little bit more into his fluff. But Dreamer is a, is a young human boy on Earthside um, who, when he sleeps, um, his dreams take place in Malifaux. Um, he, he literally exists in Malifaux and can affect the people in Malifaux with his imagination and or his special abilities that... A certain um, tyrant took notice of uh, by the name of Lord Chompy Bits. Um, that's what Dreamer named him. Uh, his real name is Nightmare. Um, and he's the, the titan or tyrant, excuse me, that basically is, a, uh, is the embodiment of nightmares um, for all people on Earthside, you know. And uh, he stalks Malifaux and has uh, Dreamer by his side and is kind of cultivating this young boy's power and his ability to affect the, uh, the, the war and the ever going battle that's happening in Malifaux. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. And when, so I, I was, um, had already kind of left GW was playing a lot of guild ball. Um, 
and uh, always, always a was kind of a, a Weird West fan. Um, always liked the idea of Weird West. I played some RPGs set in Weird West, so I was kind of poking around on the internet, you know, looking at Weird West miniatures and wondering if there's kind of a game. And I came across two games. I came across Malifaux. I came across Wild West Exodus. Um, um, and Wild West Exodus was relatively new at the time. And thematically, for what I was kind of looking for, which was a skirmish game that kind of had that Weird West feel to it, they both kind of fit it. So I was clicking around on the uh, Wild West Exodus stuff and thought kind of their alt alt history was kind of neat and the fact that you could be Abe Lincoln in the game and stuff <laughs> like that. But then I got to Malifaux and was poking around and, of course, started with Guild and it was, you know, like Perdita and stuff like that that had the Western theme. And then I found Dreamer. And it's it's so funny, even though I didn't end up playing Neverborn, it's same thing happened to me, Matt. It was Dreamer that made me go, OK, I don't know what this is, but this is really cool. And I need to learn a lot more about it. And um, anybody who doubts how cool the Dreamer uh, fluff is and just the concept behind Dreamer, just just know that Privateer Press created a whole faction based off of Dreamer when they created the Grimkin, um, which I think is a little bit of a carbon copy. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and what's also cool is kind of his arc. You know, he, he has grown up and you do see the way the other side and what's happening in London currently in the story is affecting him. So, yeah. it, man, I mean, how cool and original of, of an idea. And then to follow it up with, you know, developing his character over time is, is just awesome. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, and it's little details like he calls him Lord Choppy Bits that uh, I was just like, all right, that's cool. That's just yeah. that's just that's just cool. And you know, I'm sure that's been pieced together over time uh, at Weird, but uh, they ended up, I think, tapping into a little bit of gold. So, um, so Dreamer summoning, and when he's summoning, he's you know bringing uh, you know bringing in a model or two, and they're coming in buried. Um, I think well, the first thing I want to understand, Matt, is how how is he making these willpower duels fail? Is it just terrorizing chats, or how does he get these models onto the table after they're summoned? Absolutely. Well, Dreamer himself has a few uh, willpower duels that he can reach out and hit people with. And, and namely, I did mention Twist Reality earlier, um, yep. and that can be selected to target defense or willpower. Um, so th- that gives you a little versatility there to hit their willpower to stat six. Um, and in this game, we all know, you know, willpowers are typically five or six, you know, at most. So a stat six willpower check is, is pretty good. Um, now he also has a, a, another attack action called your nightmare, which is eight inch range. Uh, again, a stat six against willpower. And this, um, gives the model adversary nightmare. Ooh. And built in any model that's engaging that model gains focus plus one. <laughs> okay. That's cool. And now the, the nastiest part about this particular attack action is the trigger on a mask, which you will be using stones for, I promise you called night stalker. Um, it says place a friendly Lord chompy bits into base contact with the target. So that, so you don't summon chompy bits in the normal way. No, you do not. He is his totem. So he Got comes it. alongside and, and we'll get to Lord Chompy Bits. We'll talk about him. We're we're going to get on Dreamer's card here and just kind of explain what he does. But I do believe that Night Stalker trigger is key to making the yeah. Dreamer crew work. So it's something that just has to be set out front. Um, eight inch range, willpower check, put Chompy in base contact with you from anywhere on the table. 
Very nice. Very nice. Um, so uh, give me kind of a sense of um, Dreamer's defensive capabilities. So if, if uh, what, what keeps Dreamer alive on the table? Absolutely. Dreamer has abilities on the front of his card that keep him alive. He has serene countenance, uh, negative flips to any attack actions that target him. Uh, he has protected nightmare. So the, the versatility there with a two inch chuck a card and, and toss it onto any nightmare within range is, is really yeah. big. That's good. Karai has, yeah, Karai has that. Marcus has that. Those are good abilities. Absolutely. They're, they're double edged, though, honestly. Um, you know, I think I think that being a deterrent from attacking him um, shouldn't be. Um, if you do have the focus and can get through the serene countenance, um, making any of those masters chuck cards is a problem. Yep. You know, yep, these are all masters that don't have card draw. So, you know, the, the, the player's making a choice to get rid of a card, you know, at that point. So um, he also has incorporeal. We all know what that does in terms of mitigating damage. Um, and then he has diversion, uh, w- which is interesting on his card. Uh, models within Aura 4 cannot declare bonus actions. Um, oh, that's good. Surprisingly, it comes into play pretty often and is pretty devastating uh, to, to certain models that kind of rely on that bonus action to kind of tune them up and give them what they need to be effective. Yeah, a lot of times that bonus action can be what tops off a model. And in a lot of cases, it can be why you brought the model. Absolutely. In case of riders um, who like to be aggressive, um, Dreamer can easily, with incorporeal, take a couple walk actions and get right within that that range um, and maybe even pop a nightmare in base contact with them. And they're stuck there having to, you know, hack this nightmare off of them and probably not even get their bonus action as a result. So yeah, they're not gonna be able to push out of that. Yep. Yeah. So in terms of that, his defensive capabilities, there's, there's one more thing that I would like to know, and that is his, uh, his attack action. Actually, his claw action is a cricket bat, uh, one, two, three damage that does plus one damage per friendly, uh, buried nightmare up to maximum of two. That's nice. He can get a little extra damage out there. I don't think that that's necessarily a, a straightforward go strategy, um, but namely, there's a, another mask trigger on here. Um, he, he is very mask dependent, uh, but it says enemy only place this model in base contact with the friendly nightmare within six inches, then place the friendly nightmare into base contact with the target. So it. It, it, it's almost a way for him to just get out of jail. You know, someone's up in his face, um, you know, punishing him or, or costing him resources. You know, he can spend a stone for that mask if he needs to spend a high card and just bop and teleport right up out of there and, you know, walk away if he needs to. Yeah. And in certain situations that could be absolutely key. How many wounds does he have? Uh, Dreamer is only bringing seven wounds to the table. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to guess it was going to be low like that because that's a lot of de- defensive technology. And, um, you know, obviously we'll get into, um, you know, counters and things like that, but I can tell you as somebody who's played a lot of Molly, um, one of the things that I think, that we're going to, you know, a lot of people will, after they play against my Molly a few times, will go, you know, I, I don't even bother going at her. And it was the same way with Nelly uh, in Guild back in uh, 2E. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, going in on these masters, I think, and you you hinted at this, Matt, like there's, it's uh, it's almost like the defensive tech is more psychological than mechanical. They see the serene continence and they go, oh, what a pain in the butt. They see the fact that you could shrug off to a, you know, a nightmare that's close and they go, oh, that's just a pain. I'm just not going to bother with them. Um, so it's almost like, you, you know, no, you might want to just go at them. 
Yeah, it, it, it is really funny. And we'll get into that with counters, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's like any real fight. You don't want to get into it, but you, you, you just got to and you got to go yeah. in hard and fast and really just give them all you got. So um, with that, I, I totally agree. That is the counter to these super defensive techie masters because they're chucking cards. And if yep. everything goes right, you're killing a session or you're killing a daydream also. So they're losing a card and they're losing a model which is is definitely putting them behind in terms of how those masters cultivate power. And, and the other thing too, I'm finding in three, and I don't know if you feel this as with Dreamer or not, Matt, but I'm finding with three that you know when you go against uh, some of these masters that just seem so strong, um, and you, what you don't realize is how you don't re- you don't see the pressures the opponents under when they're playing them. So like with Molly, you know, there's a, there's, there's an activation order pressure that I'm under. Um, And for me to get the most out of her, I really need to activate my models in the, in a certain order to maximize her abilities. And whether my opponent realizes it or not, when they start screwing with my ability to decide what I'm going to activate next by putting pressure in different places, they really screw it up. For me, and I and I, I getting the sense that with all the masks that Dreamer needs, and um, how card hungry he sounds like he can be, that you're under a lot of pressure when you're playing him. Oh, absolutely! You you need things to go off when you're playing him. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, his card has three mass triggers and one ram trigger, and, and that's yeah. it. I mean, his bonus action goes off on a six, so you know. It, he is requiring a lot of good moderate cards, at least, you know, above moderate and good suits. So, you know, most dreamer players are going to be bringing a lot of stones, which means yep. their crews are probably going to start smaller. And there's an imperative to not only summon the model, but have your opponent fail a willpower check to get that model actually into play and doing anything for you. So, yeah, and it's kind of tough too because you know, in an ideal world, you don't want your game plan to involve decisions that can be made by your opponent. But if your summoning mechanic requires a failure on your opponent's side, you need them not to cheat or not have the cards to cheat um, in order to make that happen. Um, so that's got to be some pressure there too. Yeah, you're you're saving your one high card to not necessarily do damage, but to cause a failed willpower duel to bring a model yep. on the table. Then you're relying on basically top decking most of your your attack actions and damage flips to get the most out of your models. Which yep. is why yep. he has the you know um, ability on a lot of his nightmares to lucid dream, which is a, a big point and, and topic on the forums um, that should be discussed definitely. Um, but I think in terms of how it affects his crew and, and what he requires as a resource intense master, um, he's, he's one of those masters that builds over time. So it, 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 it puts more impetus on getting in his face and being aggressive early and putting the pressure on before he builds up. You, you know, people say the same thing about Yenlo. You know, they, 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 they really, you know, they start, um, you know, uh, El bitchin about, you know, Yan Lo, <laughs> Yan Lo in turn four, he's so good. And all of us Yan Lo players are like, well, why did you let us get to, ten, to turn four? <laughs> That's not on me. That's on you. You know, there's, there's masters in this game in three that uh, you can't let them, you can't let them do what they want to do for that long. Absolutely. And that's a luxury of third edition. I'm playing this master. So go to your toolbox and, yep. and consider that when you're building your crew. 
Yeah, the whole idea that they, that you revealed masters before building crew when they when that first when I first saw that I was like, what the hell are they thinking? But I got to tell you, man, the more three I'm playing, the more time I'm realizing that it's not it's not just a rock paper scissors game. Like it's required because of how good masters are in three. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, it's one of those layers of decisions put on the players that they have to make. You know, and, and the one that makes the better counter decision, whether it be just, you know, throwing it into the win or making a wild guess or whatever, it, you know, that's that's who's going to win the game, you know, and sometimes that takes risks, taking risks and 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 going out, you know, going for it with certain models or choices or decisions. Yeah. And I, and as a player, I'm not there yet, Matt, but I'm 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 starting to get the feeling that. You know, when I when I would get a tournament pool ahead of time, so we got a tournament this Saturday and we got the pools on Monday and I've already created about 15 lists for three rounds because that's what I do. And, um, <laughs> you know, usually what I would do, though, for an event is that I would end up saying this is the these are the these are the crews I'm bringing. Um, and in two, you could kind of do that. You could kind of say I'm going to, you know, really, you know, spend a lot of time and add some models, remove some models, play around with some upgrades. And, you know, when I hit the table, regardless of what they declare, what the terrain looks like and stuff, I'm, I'm running this crew. Um, I had a game last night um, and I went into it with a, a crew that I had already decided on because we had the pool ahead of time. And I said, OK, I'm going to run this crew. And the board was really tight lanes, especially in deployment. And I brought a, Molly, a, a McMorning crew with a lot of 50 mil bases in it. And I was screwed. I was screwed. I was stuck in my deployment zone. I couldn't get out of it in time and efficiently enough. And if I, you know, had already started playing at that next level, I would have seen the table and said, yeah, I can't bring this many 50 mils to this game. And that's just a small example of what I I think I'm seeing here in three. So, Matt, we got a um, we got a really good question related to summoning uh, from James. Uh, So let's hear what James had to say. Hello, Third Floor Wars. This is James up in Alaska. My question in regards to the Dreamer is the utility of his summoning ability. Um, I've played a couple of games now, and um, I'm not quite sure where it's going to fit in. It, it never really did anything for me. Thanks. Awesome. All the way up in Alaska playing Malifaux. That's that's great to hear. Well, uh, thanks for the question. And um, yeah, the summoning aspect can be tough. And again, that, that kind of comes back to the two layer summoning approach and the fact that you, you know, you have to spend perhaps a stone and a, and a pretty decent card to get the model even summoned into the queue. And then you have to maybe have another high card that you're going to force into a willpower check to then get that model on the field you know, where you want it or wherever you can get it on the field. So, you know, with that, Dreamer summons a Alp on a 9, a, a Stitch Together on a 10, and an Insidious Madness on an 11. So that pretty much leaves your 12s and 13s available to, to really put into those willpower checks that you're going to be out there aggressively seeking with models that have ranged willpower checks. Um, and that, and that's really going to ensure that you can get models on the table. Um, sometimes it's not always where you want it because again, your opponent could dictate who's even in range of, of these checks. Um, but in the Neverborn faction, there are quite a few models that, uh, have range based bonus actions, uh, that, you know, are eight inch range target willpower. Um, mm-hmm. so those are models that I look for to hire in any dreamer crew, depending on who I'm playing against and what the situation is. 
Um, because it's just, it's just a threat range ability to say, Hey, I can walk twice and psh, there's an insidious madness in your face because you can't stop a 12 with my six or a 13 with my six. So, so here's a question, Matt. So, you know, the, the, the summoner in Rezzers, um, is, uh, Albus, right? And at, at first glance, it seems, you know, that it's critical that you get those summons off. And I think even in two, the summoners, if they weren't summoning, they were losing. And I, and I, I'm noticing that's not necessarily true in three and Albus, for example, if he goes a whole game without summoning, he can still win that game and be very effective. Is it, do you think that's true of dreamer? Um, which I think kind of ties to um, James's question. Like, does he have to be summoning to be winning? Uh, I absolutely believe that he does. Um, I think you need to build your crews around what I'm speaking about in terms of finding ranged willpower duels and finding willpower attack actions at high values to get those models on the field. Um, Dreamer does not have a lot of action repeats or the ability to trigger, you know, incidental scheme marker drops or anything. Yeah. He has to use his models the old fashioned way to walk and interact to drop a scheme you know, just like every, you know, just like the basic rules tell you. So with that, you know, his his action economy is summoning minion models onto the field. Got it. Uh, they're summoned in danger, uh, fighting another model, but hopefully uh, you've put enough pressure on them or th- they're going to be able to come out on top based on their own physical prowess. You know, these models can all fight. They're all decently defensive. Um, so with that, you're, you're just trying to get these models on the field and killing other models to gain that positioning and disrupt your opponent. Well, man, I want to learn a lot, a lot about, you know, those different, uh, summoning options and, and really about the crew. So let's take a quick break. And when we get back from the break, I'm going to pick Matt's brain. We're going to learn, you know, when do you summon one versus the other? Um, and also what is the core crew that, uh, Matt brings to the table? We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So I've got to say, it makes me really happy that Dreamer is cool, as cool mechanically as I've always thought he was. Um, and, you know, if I had all the time in the world, Matt, I would be playing every faction. Um, and I was dead set that I was going to continue with Rezzers into three 
And then my second faction in three was going to be never born. And then I started hearing stuff about Explorer Society. So I might have to put the Explorers ahead of that. Um, but But I can tell you right now, my first never born master someday will be Dreamer. Um, and, uh, he sounds really cool, but let's talk about all about the other models. Um, so the first thing I want to get a sense of Matt and we'll get into, you know, summoning and things like that. When do you, when do you summon a or B or C, but I'd like to know when you're, you know, you're sitting down, you've got 50 stones and you're building the crew. What are, what are the models that other than the totem, obviously that you automatically bring into the crew? Absolutely. I'm going to come at you with a curveball and say that I start with two upgrades with this. Oh, crew. cool. Yeah. So Dreamer is uh, going to be uh, given an ancient pact pretty much every game. Um, th- this allows him to avoid Doom, which says if he flips the Black Joker, uh, he can discard the Black Joker without effect and flip a new card in its place. That's a big deal for a summoner. Yeah. I mean, you get to do it once per turn. So you can't afford to Black Joker summons with how important it is to get these models on the field. Um, again, needing a nine to get an Alp, you know, use that nine. The Alp is great. They'll, they'll do the job. Um, also on Ancient Pact, it gives you Ill Omens one. So you are you get a plus one to your initiative flip, which is nice. I mean, you're yep. going to be giving your opponent pass tokens, uh, typically only one per turn. So you, you kind of break even on that whole, uh, you know, plus one initiative thing which gives you a fighting chance in in terms of winning initiative. Uh, Secondly, I get inhuman reflexes and we, we put that right on Lord Chompy bits. Um, I mean, I I think this is a no brainer as well. I mean, Lord Chompy bits is a great model at eight stones. He's a henchman. Um, He can eat stones to mitigate damage. Um, But with, with butterfly jump attached to his kit, I mean, it just makes him really hard to bring down and, and you really need that in this crew to, keep things going and to have the punch you need to win. So out of curiosity, I mean, obviously I can summon Lord Chompy, right? Um, and, but you can break, you can bring him for free, right? Or no, no, no summoning Lord Chompy bits. Dreamer can only summon his four minion models. So I misunderstood it. So that trigger allows you to place Lord Chompy yeah. bits. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. sorry. Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Then the, your nightmare trigger is merely a place Lord Chompy bits in base contact with the target. Uh, which is eight inches from Dreamer. So this allows you to really faint with Lord Chompy Bits. Got it. Go off into different regions of the board and maybe score some early points um, and and just brutalize maybe some scheme runners that might be out there or just mismatch a a certain part of the board and then just immediately bring him to another part of the board through, you know, one failed willpower check, which might also bring another nightmare into base contact with them as well. Um, so you're basically popping two nightmares in contact with a model within eight inches, one of which being, you know, Lord Chompy Bits, um, a, a very serious beater. Yeah, I mean, and in its own weird way, it's worse than summoning him because he's he's get, he's doing work for you out of like turn one. And then, you know, he can be off in left field, you know, doing, you know, chopping up, <laughs> chopping up, chopping <laughs> up a, a, uh, a, a scheme run or something like that. And with that trigger in your back pocket, and especially with some stones, you can say, you know what, I need you back here. Um, and wow, that's really good, Matt. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I mean, again, it, like you were talking about the thematic thing, it, it, it fits his th- theme. I mean, Chompy Bits is always watching Dreamers back and is a tyrant. So he, he's going to be wherever he needs to be. And, you know, as long as the cards are there, it, it's going to work out for you. So, and, and I would assume, um, let's talk a little bit about Chompy. So um, fair, I'm sure he's a beater. 
Um, so let's talk about what kind of damage output he has. Absolutely. Chompy, um, the great thing about him is he is movement six. Uh, so that, that's really great speed for a 50 mil base. Um, he's got two inch reach on his attack. So again, just, just great range in terms of damage. Um, three, four, six on his profile. He's got a couple triggers, uh, tear off a bite to heal two. And he's also got an execute trigger on a car. I hate those things so much. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to have that too, because with dreamer, you know, sucking up all the masks, you know, it gives you an opportunity to maybe use some of your Rams and crows uh, yeah. th- through Lord chompy bits and maybe get a little extra bonus off of those cards. Um, he also comes with twist reality at eight inch range, um, which is a gun action right on chompy's cards. So, you know, he, he can hit you up close and he can shoot you from far away as well. And also, you know, bring nightmares out with that attack at eight inch range. Um, so, and you mentioned he's a totem and a henchman, right? So he can use stones. Yes. Yes. He is a henchman. Oh. Yeah. All right. So other than stones, what's keeping chompy bits uh, upright? Well, he's got a regeneration two uh, ability on the front of his card and then uh, tear off a bite with um, his yeah. attack action really helps. And he's got the, the nightmare front of card keyword ability feed on fear. So he's got a two inch range with his claw. So he's, you know, he's pretty much engaged a lot of the times and models will be failing willpower checks and, and he heals that way. Well, and, and really there's kind of a hidden defensive tech in dreamer. And um, we really didn't get, we hinted at it in the first segment, but I, I'd like to kind of delve into it now. Can we talk a little bit about the lucid dreams and the deck manipulation? Absolutely. And and this is right on uh, Lord Chompy Bits card as well. So he is uh, able to take the bonus action Lucid Dream, which says to reveal the top three cards of this model's fate deck, choose one revealed non-joker and remove it from the game. Then discard the other revealed cards. And that's permanent for the rest of the game. That's permanent for the rest of the game. And that is a bonus action that requires no flip whatsoever. It just happens. Oh. And 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 that's pretty common. You said across m- many of the nightmares, it's going to be on um, all of your nightmare minions uh, and Lord Chompy bits. Yeah. So I, I guess the next question I'm going to ask is, uh, what, what's your record at the end of turn five? How many uh, cards have you removed out of your deck? <laughs> well, if we're getting into Lucid Dream, I think it's sort of a nuanced thing. Um, I don't think yeah. it's a mindless thing that you do every single time you can. Uh, there's a lot of consideration as to whether the red Joker is still in the deck, whether the black Joker is still in the deck, and how many high cards y- you're thinking about removing. Because if you're lucid dreaming later in in the game, you have more chances of just pulling up a bunch of highs and mids because you've yeah. already thinned the deck out from earlier turns. And, and how are you tracking that during the game, Matt? Just kind of getting a feel for it in your head? Are you counting cards? I mean, how, how, <laughs> how, how much decision-making is going into this or premonition? Well, you set the stack up above, you know, the deck of cards as they're being removed. Um, and there is an ability on the Stitch Together's card to bring those cards back in to play. Ah, so we will talk okay. about when when you do pull a high card or maybe three high cards you can then get those cards back into play. So it's not a total loss on you for taking that risk. Oh, yeah, cool. A whole new mechanic that we have yet to see. We'll get there. Uh, anywhere we'll, we'll else. Get there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get All there. Right, so uh, anything else we need to know about Lord Chompy? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. I mean, he's got the ranged attack action. I guess one more thing is that he is the only ski marker removal option. He has trail of gore. 
uh, randomly on his cards. So again, when he's not lucid dreaming early game, uh, late game, he can be removing enemy scheme markers and, you know, causing problems in the uh, denial front. Yep. That makes sense. So we get him for free. So who's, free. who's your, fir- who's your first hire? First hire is going to be Serena Bowman. Okay. Okay. Serena Bowman is a eight stone enforcer who brings a kit that involves uh, healing. So she, she brings a bottle of painkillers as a bonus action. Uh, that is a one, two, three heal that ends a condition on the target. Um, it also has a trigger on a mask again uh, to take the action again. Okay. So th- this is again, uh, another source of healing for the crew um, for Nor- Lord Chompy bits and for dreamer notably or herself. Cause she tends to soak a lot of aggression. Um, and the condition removal. I mean, I, I think conditions are going to be a problem for all crews in this game. Um, but yep. notably, Dreamer's crew has a real problem with them because there's very little condition removal. And the amount of conditions you can give, you know, the widespread ability for models to just be like, everyone's burning or everyone's poisoned. I mean, it happens all the time. So only having the one source of, of condition removal kind of leaves you lacking and, and choosing who's not going to have the condition. Yeah, and conditions are a lot more devastating than they were in in second edition. Um, they have a much bigger impact on the game. Um, so they may have consolidated the conditions down a little bit, but um, you, there's not conditions that you know. You know, someone says, "Well, what's your trigger doing?" He says, "Well, it gives you this." And you go, "Okay, whatever." Uh, every condition really, really can you know punch you in the gut. Absolutely, they can totally be problems. So that that little bit of condition removal she brings is key. Um, it is three inch range, so. She tends to hang out around Dreamer. Um, she also brings Disguised, so she cannot be targeted by charge actions. So she makes a nice speed bump for him. When she's not healing, is there anything else you're getting out of her? Absolutely. Um, she's Disguised, and again, uh, she has Demise Eternal. Um, like in, the, in 2E when she was released, she'd just pop up on the, the deployment zone. Um, yep. which everyone thought was crazy. But again, it, it follows her fluff. So we're trying to keep things fluffy in third edition, um, but have abilities that cross across different models. So Demise Eternal, she's you know one of the many models in the game that have it. So we, we, we all know what it does um, and how powerful it can be. But again, it, it requires a card. Yep. So, you know, anytime you can get someone to use that card to demise, it, it really puts pressure on the crew overall. Well, and, and let's put that in the context of Lucid Dreams. Um, okay. So I got to tell you, the first time I heard about Lucid Dreams, I was just like, what is going on right now? Like, this is <laughs> this is broken. It's bonkers. And you're starting to hear uh, chatter right on the forums and and in the AWP about you know like what what kind of BS is this lucid dream stuff? But what I think you're doing a good job of, Matt, is is kind of pulling back the curtain and saying, look, guys, there is a ton of pressure here, and yes, lucid dreams helps. But what you guys don't what what you guys don't get is you know I'm I'm honing my deck. I've got incredible amount of pressure for because your your summons aren't cheap, and you know the suits aren't free. And it, Lucid Dreams has helped mitigating some of that pressure. Um, but from the opponent's side, it just looks like you're a powerhouse. 
Yeah, well, I think opponents' eyes roll back in their head when you start doing it multiple times, when I think they need to be really looking at what cards you're discarding. Yeah. Um, because there have been turns where I've dumped a bunch of high cards, my red joker's been discarded, and my black joker hadn't been seen. So basically, you're looking at my thin little deck that's got a black joker in it, and I don't got a bunch of high cards. I'm probably sitting on two in hand. So that should tell you, come and get it, you know? So I think paying a little bit more attention to what's being discarded will help opponents realize the pressure that it does put the dreamer player under. That's a great point, Matt, because the only thing that the opponent's really paying attention to is the fact that you pulled an an ace out of the deck. (laughs) What they're they're really not paying attention to is that you're in turn three, which is a critical turn, and you flipped a 13, an 11, and that three. And you discarded the three, which pisses them off, but that 13 and 11 just went to your discard. Absolutely. And, and and it's not always that. Sometimes it's a 12, 13, and a 1. Um, right. And you can pull the 13 to use with the stitch together, um, again, which is the only model in the crew that can do that and pull a model, or excuse me, pull a card out from the discard or, or lost card uh, pile. So, again, another decision for your opponent to make to, you know, take those models off the field so yeah. that you're you're basically lost those cards that have been removed from the game. So going back to Serena, is her heels a bonus, right? Yes, her heels a bonus. Um, so, yeah, she's got a couple other actions that we can definitely go over here. She's got a tendrils attack action, two, four, six, two inch range with, That's a, trigger, good. with a trigger that does blasts. Yeah. Now you couple that with an ability on the front of her card called horrific reality. Uh, And that says when this model declares a claw action, it may reduce its stat by one to measure line of sight and range of the action from any friendly nightmare within eight inches. Which helps keep her safe. She's reaching through nightmares at eight inches away and hitting you for two, four, six. Yeah, I can see why she's an, an auto hire. That's that's pretty good for eight stones. How many wounds does she have? She comes with eight wounds. Yeah, but you can but you don't you don't need her. Uh, up in danger because of that ability to uh, to node um, through nightmares. And what's the stat on again? I'm sorry. What's the stat again on the uh, attack? Absolutely. Her tendrils attack is a stat six when she swings, but it gets that minus one when she uses right. it through other nightmares. So it'll be coming in at stat five. Yeah. Um, so so you'd prefer not to do it so that, okay, that's some nice little balance. I'm with that. Yeah. But she also has twist reality on her card as well. And we've seen that on dreamer and Lord Chompy bits. So uh, again, another axe an, another, you know, option to use this shoot attack that attacks defense willpower two, three, four, ignoring armor and incorporeal. I mean, it's just a, a really uh, great action that kind of gives dreamer his versatility and utility against any crew in any pool. And she's sticking close to dreamer, obviously, because, uh, it's seven wounds. Um, you're going to, you're going to want her there. So, all right. So I've got dreamer. I've got Lord choppy bits. I've got two upgrades. I've got Serena. What's next. Lastly, um, for my main, uh, hires that I do pretty much every time I bring in three daydreams. Oh, wow. One of which I might cut, um, as we get to the, the, you know, building the crew out to those 50 stones. If I'm, you know, less than five stones, I might cut one of those daydreams and go down to two. Um, just to keep at least five stones in my cash. Um, but I, I, I think the daydreams are really essential to how this crew operates and the control that you can get from it. So what what they bring notably is they bring a tactical action called Lead Nightmare. It's a 10-inch range, uh, needs a five to go off of any suit. 
Um, you cannot target a nightmare more than once per activation with this action. And it just simply says, move the target up to three inches. Ah, okay. So you're basically getting to just move your models up into position out of combat, wherever they need to move to, to take full advantage of their activation. So that's, that, that'll disengage them if it need be. And, um, and, and how much are these guys? These guys are three stones a piece. Oh, that's good for three stones. That kind of utility is good. What else can they do for you? Absolutely. Um, they lucid dream as well. So you're, you're bringing in more options early game with the three daydreams to get rid of more cards. Um, so you, you kind of want as many of those early game as you can. So cheap options to lucid dream is always good. Yep. Um, they also have a range eight stat four attack. Um, that's, that's like twist reality. Um, it can target defense or willpower. It's a one, two, four damage, ignoring armor and incorporeal. Um, this one doesn't have a gun icon next to it though. So hmm. they can, they can just sit around and just blast you with little incidental damage at a stat four, which honestly adds up if there's two or three of them, you know, just unloading on you, not having anything else to do late game. Yeah, but the way that the way that Dreamer's built is you may or may not have the cards to force that four through. So I think that helps mitigate it, right? Uh, no, it's at a stat four. So you, you'd just be attacking at the, the lower stat value. But again, you'd have those higher cards left over in your deck late game to possibly get those off. Right. I guess what I'm saying, though, is that we, we keep talking about the card pressure that that he's under between the summons and, you know, pushing through those willpower duels. And with a low stat four, even though the attack is good, you may or may not have the cards to cheat in to try to push a stat four attack through on, say, a, a def- defensive willpower six model. Absolutely. Absolutely. At that point, you're just trying to hope to top deck it and put pressure right. on your opponent to cheat and maybe use one exactly. of their cards. Um, they also have accomplice, uh, which is really nice for some of those opportunities where you're going to push a model out of combat and you need a little bit of, um, tempo. So you mm-hmm. just chuck one of those very, very important cards and, and, and accomplice, <laughs> you know, and, and get that model out there doing what you needed to do before your opponent can react to a push. Yeah. I can see where three of them for nine stones is a good value. Absolutely. And they're also insignificant. So they're not a liability Mm. into turf war or reckoning or anything that, you know, your opponent's going to score off of. Very cool. All right. Any other ones that are making, you know, half or more of your lists? You know, at that point, I pretty much stop with my main core crew. Um, That's a 21 stones. Um, That gives me, you know, maybe three or four other models that I can bring in. And and those are all going to really vary on who my opponent is. Mm-hmm. And what the scheme pool is, you know. I'll, I'll- yeah, we're going to dive into that, Matt. But I got to tell you, man, that's I like that a little bit because I, I'm I've got s- some masters that I've been working. I'm finding myself only having like 15 flex stones and, and it's a little frustrating. So I, I kind of like the fact that you really are, are left with 20 or more stones to flex into the pool and the opponent um, that 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 speaks well of Dreamer, in my opinion. Well, yeah, Dreamer, I think, is the the real versatile master in, in Neverborn. I mean, he, he could really be brought into most pools because he has a huge hiring pool. I mean, he has like four enforcers, three henchmen, and, and four minions that, that all do different things and can help in different ways. Um, notably, some of the nightmares don't drop any markers. They don't drop corpses. Nice. And they don't drop scrap. 
So in, in a lot of games, denying any sort of markers being left behind from your presence is a really big deal. Yeah, where that, that games, can be critical. Yeah. Where other games, you're looking for the armor. You know, you, you need that armor and you don't necessarily mind the scrap being there on the field. So, you know, it, it gives you that option to really hire based on who you're going up against. Well, before we kind of get into, you know, how you spend those flex stones, um, just out of curiosity, are you finding um, yourself hiring any other masters into a dreamer crew occasionally or vice versa, where you find yourself um, not bringing dreamer as a leader, but bringing them in as a hire? You know, the only real one I've tried out um, has been Zoraida. And and that's just because it, it's sort of a no brainer in terms of her ability to get you more cards and, and yeah. efficiently and quickly. Um, Dreamer's too resource intensive to be brought alongside another master, which I think is a good argument for the double master, you know, thing and conversation that people are having is that, mm-hmm. you know, these masters are card intensive and they, you only get six cards. So if, yep. if one of those two masters isn't bringing a, an ability to get cards, you, you're kind of going to be out of stuff and really relying on luck in the top of the deck. It's a hidden cost that I don't think has been part of the discussion. That's a great point, Matt. So, you know, with that, I, I do think that you could bring Zoraida in a, in a key situation, but you don't need to. I think Dreamer really does well with his own nightmare models and some other versatile models coming in to support him where you see some, some glaring holes. Uh, does, now, does he have a leader only ability? Well, his leader only ability, like most summoners, I believe is to be able to have five of their summon models on the field as Got opposed it. to two. Okay. I've seen that across the board for most. So, you know, I've heard cute stories of, you know, bringing dreamer um, into a Lucius crew or a Zoraida crew um, and summoning two insidious madness. And you, you, you kind of net a few more points than what dreamer would have cost. Um, or hiring the insidious madnesses with the tax. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can see that, but again, it's, it's, it's costing you points and you got to kind of have the, um, the outward tactical ability to press willpower checks. You know, he, he can't be brought into Nekama or, you know, certain right. crews that just are swinging at you at your, at your defense. So, and, and what, what is the cost on uh choppy business card? Yeah, good question. Uh, Dreamer is 12 and Chompy Bits card is eight. So they, yeah. they kind of add up to be what, you know, most master totem combinations, you know, end up being. Um, and in terms of wound count, you know, you got seven on Dreamer and eight on Lord Chompy Bits. So, you know, they're, they're comparable to their costs, in, in my opinion. Yeah, but it, it you I mean, <laughs> you could bring him in, right? Hire hire him relatively cheap compared to other masters. But uh, to get full value, you know, you'd want Lord Champion and that puts them back up into the, you know, the Lady J McMorning hiring costs. So um, that's interesting. And, and the one, the only other thing I'll mention is um, I, I could, I can see what you're saying about bringing Zoraida in because she's Zoraida and she's really good, but her, she's also attacking willpower, which I would imagine would ha- could help him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, her 12 inch willpower attack is just fantastic. And she also has a little bit of tech with the voodoo doll popping in and having Widow Weaver just, you know, bring in stitch togethers or wicked dolls or whatever off of that free scrap. So there is some some extra synergy more than just the cards and the ranged willpower, you know. She, she's a good hire, but again, you weigh that sixteen Expensive. stones against you know some other options that are going to get out and you know attack the flanks. Because once you get Zoraida in there, your bubble in the center is is just yep. a huge bubble. 
you know, and, and people can run away from it or just scheme around the outside and, you know, leave you standing there. Yep. No, it, that's very, very true. All right. So um, we've been kind of putting it off. So what we'll do, man, when we get back from this break, I want to talk a little bit about how we really do spend those flex stones, because um, that sounds to be like a big part of a nightmare crew. So we'll be right back. Howdy, folks. Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars gadget bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Okay, so now it's really start, you know, time to get into the meat, Matt. So, um, you know, we've got four strategies, you know, plant explosives, turf war, corrupted idols and reckoning. Which of these strategies just makes you go, oh, I'm going to I'm definitely going to play dreamer. Well, um, I'll tell you, I I can take him into most strategies. The the one that does give me question is reckoning. Um, Obviously, with a summoner, you're bringing more models into play that your opponent can kill. So that particular strategy can be tough uh, bringing Dreamer into. um, But I think the other three, um, in terms of Planet Explosives, Turf War, and Corrupted Idols, Dreamer does just fine. And um, he he can get across the board pretty quickly. He can, um, you know, really answer the Corrupted Idols call in terms of putting models near their models, which can typically be near Corrupted Idol markers. So Mm -hmm. the versatility there is nice. And then Turf War... Again, with all the range, eight inch range, you can kind of pick and choose where models are being killed. Um, so again, reckoning is is the one that I would probably back off of uh, with Dreamer. Is there a, is there a Neverborn Master that you would prefer into reckoning? Yeah, absolutely. I, I prefer uh, Titania into reckoning. Um, I, I feel like her kit is just designed to be really, really difficult to kill. Um, yeah, I've had games versus Yonlo where we haven't had a model die until turn four. Right, right. That Just makes sense. Denial is key. I feel like in reckoning, I see most people bring really, really tough crews. So, you know, with that, I follow suit. <laughs> yeah, it, it um, reckoning is uh, boy, that first point's easy, isn't it? Um, but, you know, engineering those second that second point is not necessarily very easy, depending on how much you got teched against by the uh, opponent. And boy, getting that third and fourth point in reckoning is 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 hard. It's really really hard because you're running out of models, and um, pulling that all off in one turn um, is not very easy. So l- let's talk about Dreamer into Plant Explosives. Can you give me kind of a feel? of what the, how you're spending those flex point uh, flex stones um, into plant. Yeah, absolutely. I think into plant, you're going to be looking at a couple models, um, notably widow weaver and bandersnatch. Um, Those models create web markers uh, as a bonus action within six inches of themselves. It's a, it's a drop so they can pretty much put it wherever they want. It's a 50 millimeter destructible, severe web marker. So it really doesn't seem like much, 
But the ability on the front of both of their cards, uh, Seize Prey, says at the start of this model's activation, they can place to themselves in base contact with a friendly web marker within 12. Oh, jeez. And that they're unaffected by web markers. So, you know, with those two models working in tandem, you can really get a leapfrog going or put yourself in position to get in their backfield um, and, and plant those explosives away from where the fighting's happening. Well, and the second layer there is not only can you use them to drop the bombs, but you could also then use them to go back on defense to start picking up some. Absolutely. Uh, they're they're really tough to pin down, um, especially when you get that many web markers on the field. Um, and, and the banner snatch uh, is nuanced in his own right. Um, but Widow Weaver technically is the main scheme runner in that in that facility. So not only is she dropping bombs, but you're using her potentially to, to score your schemes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, with, with her ability to place 12 inches away onto web markers, she can be in the opponent's backfield away from the fighting to do things like breakthrough. um, Right. Search the ruins, all all that power ritual. Absolutely. Power ritual. So I've definitely used her to utility there because you just, you, you can't catch up with her unless you have a really fast model. Now, do you think that they're a dynamic duo? Like if I'm going to hire one, I'm always going to hire the other? Or do you just bring one into the crew at some time? No, you can you can get away with just bringing one into the crew. Um, it, it, in a plant explosives game, you're giving yourself a lot more vectors to place those bomb markers because they do have to be six inches away from each other. Um, so having the ability to just pop out and place within range, uh, you know, 12 inches is huge. Um, you can walk and then place the bomb and you really have no chance of being within six inches of another bomb marker. Um, yeah. That's been a problem for me in the past with other crews that don't necessarily have those big movement uh, abilities to, to really get really far away from where they were at the start of their activation. That That is a hidden challenge in plant explosives. And I'm glad you brought up Matt, because it, um, if someone has a bomb on them, they're a target. And, you know, usually a way that a lot of crews work is you protect your targets by keeping them close to the crew. But in order for you to get those bombs six inches away from other bombs, they need to kind of go on their own a little bit. Um, so abilities like Seamus's teleport and this, these web marker things can be critical for plant explosives. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's how you win games with these crews because the action economy it takes to chase them into your own backfield to stop it yep. usually allows you to win the fight and win the model fight and then just win the game in the end. So it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You just let them go and score and hope that me sending eight stones into your backfield is enough to you know turn the tide of battle. So I, I'm going to suspect um matt that, that you might even consider them for turf war absolutely turf war is is a wonderful um strategy for dreamer to go into um again i feel like his ability to reach out and and do some range damage as well with the core key of the dreamer lord chompy bits and serena bowman gives you those tactical options and choices to kind of reach out and touch somebody in a table quarter uh to deny them points and how are you handling corrupted idols? So how are you handling the damage that gets done? Are, are you are you relying on your summons to to get those um, idols over? Well, corrupted idols is actually probably my favorite uh, strategy with Dreamer. Um, again, the ability to hit people at eight inch range with willpower attacks and pop a model in base contact with them means that you don't necessarily need to be right next to these corrupted idol markers to either deny interaction with them 
or to gain position on them. Um, an insidious madness or a stitch together are going to pop up in base contact with you um, as you're going after one of those corrupted idol markers. So it, it gives me that option to, you know, put pressure wherever I need to on the board. Um, and maybe, you know, again, save one of those very, very uh, high cards, those valuable high cards yeah. for putting that ter- that uh, corrupted idols marker where I want it. Um, but again, I think Dreamer's ability to kind of place models where he wants to with his summon and his uh, the way that mechanic works makes him really, really good in corrupted idols. Well, and anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that my the two th- themes that we keep hearing is flexibility and mobility. And it sounds like um, he's got a lot of that, um, though a little bit different than we're hearing with other masters, which I think is kind of neat. Um, so, Matt, I'm hearing a lot of tears about Stitched. So can we talk about Stitched and why so many people are like hating that model? Absolutely, we can. Stitched are are, are definitely a tough model. Um, they are six soul stones. Um, they are defense six. Uh, they have armor one, bloated stench, and the most important and hated ability of fiendish gamble, which I spoke about a little bit earlier. Um, this is a once per activation. Uh, when this model would flip a card, it may instead choose a card its controller has removed from the game and place it into the conflict. That card is no longer considered removed from the game. So, (laughs) (laughs) so if lucid dreams wasn't, wasn't pissing you off this well. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. And it, and and it happens. I mean, and the problem with it is, is that they can use it defensively with their defense six one time during the opponent's activation. And that can stick people when you're like, I'm at a defense slip in 19. What are you going to do? You know? So yeah. I understand the frustration completely. Um, with that, they are the only model in the crew that can do it. Um, they are uh, minion threes that can be summoned, but they can also yep. be killed. You know, they can be killed just like anyone else. Um, it just takes, it just takes some work. And what, what, what's the wound count on them? They got six wounds armor one. Okay. And armor one, six wounds. Um, so they're, they're, they're killable. Defense yeah. six is pretty serious though. And then that ability to pull in cards. Um, that's phew, a problem. Boy. Yeah. 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 I, I would, I would suspect their early targets then right before you have a chance to build that kind of lucid, lucid dream side sideboard. Well, I, I would think that that would be my personal approach to the crew. They're also one of the few models that don't have terrifying on the cards. So you are free to attack them and to gang up on them with multiple models. And that pressure just, you know, puts puts them out in my experience. And they can only do that once per turn or once per activation? Once per activation. Okay. Okay. So on, on the back of their card, they have a tactical action that feels more like an attack action. And I think this is another sticking point for Stitch Together. I mean, if, if you didn't already hate them, Craig, you're, you're going to hate them right now after I get done telling you about this, this tactical action. So um, this goes on a four and it's range six. Uh, it says enemy only this model and the target both flip over the top card of their fate deck, which cannot be cheated. So you can go ahead and use your, your fiendish gamble on this ability and pull a card that's been removed from the game. Um, and then the loser or in the case of a tie, the model suffers three, four, five damage. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, that's a tactical action? Yeah, it's a tactical action. Oh, good lord. <laughs> yeah. All right, so here, yeah. here comes the big question. So there's two questions here then. So what does Dreamer <laughs> need to sum what does Dreamer need to summon him? What's the card that he needs? Dreamer needs a 10 of mass to summon a six okay. together. All right. So the next big question is that there are six soul stones, right? Yes. Would you hire them at seven? Be uh, honest. I might hire one at seven. Okay. But but two at six? To, uh, I, I've been known to hire two at six. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, I mean, that, that means they're close. That means they're close. Um yeah, it, it's a model, and, I, and I'm doing my best, Matt, to, to try to keep this under control because it happens to me all the time with three. Where like I hear a model, I'm like, "What the hell?" And but like after I give it some time and and and, and play against them, I kind of realize that they're they actually are balanced, but they feel unbalanced. Uh, I'm at the this feels unbalanced phase of the stitch together. Um, it'll be interesting to see six months from now if it turns out that there's there's reasons or maybe you can make the argument of why they should be six stones and shouldn't and should have everything that they have. Well, you know, in my honest opinion, if I were to do something to this card um, and, and, you know, have whatever opinion you want, I, I think movement four on this model would, would bring it back into the fair category. Um, I think what people fail to realize is that they have a threat range of 11 inches. If they're able mm-hmm. to take a walk action and then gamble their life against you. So the yeah. amount of shooting at 12 inch range or just shooting in general range attack options in the game should put these models under pressure. Um, and again, with that, the, uh, the you're not always pulling 13s out of the deck. You know, I may right. pop an 11 out and think that's going to be enough and you flip a 12. You know, it's it's one of the few models in the game that that hurts itself. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I could see maybe the movement five being a problem or maybe even bringing their defense down one click, uh, to defense five. Um, but other than that, I, I don't think I would mess with their cost. Yeah. It, it, it's a model that has stirred up enough conversations that I think that, uh, that, that conversation won't die on its own. So I'll be very anxious <laughs> to see again, as all of this matures, let, let's see where they are. And, um, I think it was, uh, you know, we, we released a couple of weeks ago the uh, podcast with uh, Brian, who was out of the Georgia Meadow that we were talking about their grow league. And he had a, you know, had a great quote, which is, you know, you know, everything feels broken right now. Um, and I'm trying to remind my mind myself of that, that um, it, uh, you know, when people when people f- see me with a McMorning at a poison 11 and he's healing, you know, f- you know, four at the end of the turn you know, that feels real broken to them. Um, and it's very frustrating to them. Um, so it's really easy to remember how you've been frustrated by other masters. You forget how frustrating you've been to others. And it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of the new world we're in. It's just the way the game's designed, you know, everything's broken. I totally agree with that sentiment and you got to take licks on the chin and, and accept that that's the way that it is. Those are the rules and, uh, get back and figure out a way to approach that same situation again and and do better the next time. Um, there are answers to everything in in this game, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. And and the keyword system makes it a little bit simpler to kind of keep track of, right? So you don't have to learn the 130 models that are in Malifaux. You only need to learn, you know, the, the couple dozen keywords and get a sense of them. Um, there is a podcast out there that's covering all of these keywords in detail. 
Um, so if you see a podcast that's diving into Dreamer and you don't play them, you still may want to listen to it um, so that you're ready for Dreamer when you see them. Um, because I think the familiarity is a big deal. Um, I recently just played against Dashiell for the first time, and I was like, oh, that seems good. Oh, that seems good. Oh, we can do that, too. That seems nice. Um <laughs> But I, but I'll play it differently the next time I face him, right? Um, now that I know and have seen him on the table, I've got a better sense of how he works. And, and, and you know, two hours after the game, I could already start to piece together the chinks in his armor. Um, and uh, we, we've got to let this stuff mature a little bit. Um, so, man, I think that gives us a real good sense um, of, you know, a feel for the different um, strategies. Is there any other key tech pieces um, that we should talk about? Some key hires that come up based off of the strategies that we didn't already talk about. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough because there are so many different models in a dream recruit. You know, you could go over each of them individually and I, I believe they're all great and they all have their uses. Um, so, you know, we haven't spoken about Capellius yet, uh, who I find to be very, very valuable um, at nine stones in kind of being a solo scheme runner um, or even kind of an alt beater, you know, he can get in there and deal some damage um, again to kind of the fainting or um, the, the deception that you can bring into the game. Um, I feel like models like Capellius really give you that option to, de- to deceive your opponent to say, Hey, I'm doing this one thing and then come back and do another. Um is that because he can switch gears so easily? Absolutely. Um, at nine stones, he should be able to. I mean, he's a nine stone enforcer. So you, you're yep. really investing in this guy to, to, to be able to do that for you. Um, he's movement seven, which is kind of his notable stat on his card. Um, he has your you know obligatory, terrifying feed on fear, and he's bringing regeneration one. So he's got a little staying power. Um, yep. Lastly, he's got agile on his card. So this model may leave the engagement range of enemy models with the walk action, you know, agile is so good with the strategies and schemes we have right now. I mean, as another bomb guy who can go in the middle and punch somebody in the face and then walk away from it um, and yep. plant the bomb. Later. I mean, he, he's just excellent. And, and you have to talk about Capellius. He's not an, an always higher, but he's definitely someone you can bring out. If someone maybe is getting used to widow weaver or getting used to maybe a Teddy approach, um, you can drop Capellius on them and be like, well, you know, what's this? And uh, yep. again, it kind of adds to Dreamer's versatility um, as a keyword. Uh, the nightmare keyword is there's just so many different options to bring. Um, your opponent's going to be on their heels every time they play him. So speaking of Teddy, one of the most iconic things in Malifaux, when he, what, what has to be in place for you to consider Teddy as a hire? Yeah, it, t- Teddy, um, he's definitely a scheme pool and uh, opponent master dependent higher. Um, you know, if I see Mei Fang coming, Teddy's coming. He is, he's being brought to the party because of her ability to, to do the vent steam um, and make every non enemy non-construct deal with hazardous. Um, I feel like Teddy's a, a good answer to that, um, which, which is something that I do see commonly, um, you know, considering the, the group of players I play with. Um, but he, he definitely comes into the killier schemes. Um, if I need someone to uh, fake a claim jump or if I have a assassinate, you know, in the pool and I'm really kind of going for that, um, even a take prisoner, uh, Teddy's really good at executing pretty much by himself. Um, Interesting. Teddy has a bold over trigger. 
Um, push target four inches away from this model, then push this model four inches towards the target. Um, you know, it's amazing how many times I've taken prisoner with with Teddy, just picking someone up, walking away with them, and being like, "I got you." You know, um, it, it's it's kind of that hidden tech that people don't necessarily uh, think about with that those sorts of schemes. And, and you know, I'm a broken record, Matt, but it, 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 Malfo is so complicated in a good way. Like again, you read a bold over trigger, right? And you say, "Well, what the hell?" Like, okay, great, I get to move him four, and I get to move four. But when you start thinking about it in the context of the pools you start to realize how big it can be, you know, not only for a take prisoner, but for a plant explosives for there's so like positioning is so important for scoring and your ability to say your model is going to go here is a big deal. I mean, it's why everybody, you know, is crying about Zareda is because just positioning is so important. And it's again, another ability that reads fine and plays great. Absolutely. And, and Teddy's really been given a boost. I mean, he's no longer defense three anymore, people. So oh, that's I nice. Mean, <laughs> you can just hire him every game and, and, and he'll do some work for you. I mean, he's your quintessential beater. He's got flurry on his card. He's got armor one regen. Um, so, you know, th- the guy can definitely knock some teeth in on the opponent's side. Um, he's got, I've got your back as well as a tactical action, which is again, um, good defensive tech for Dreamer or Serena if they're in trouble. Um, Six-inch range, goes off on a five. Um, target other friendly engaged model. Target is placed in base contact with this model. Um, you know, you just basically pop someone out of danger and put them yep. behind your teddy and say, you know, you got to come through me. Is there? Do, do we still have any kind of synergies between him and uh, Baby Cade? Absolutely. That's going to be on baby Cade's card. Um, he's got a bonus action that moves and heals him and Teddy. Um, and, and on baby Cade's card, it says that you can hire Teddy into a woe crew at no additional cost. Got it. Got it. Now, do you ever find yourself playing, uh, the tax to bring in Cade or is it just not worth it? You know, Cade is an interesting choice. Um, he's one of the few models that has a lure at a stat seven and we all know Ooh. how good uh, a 12-inch willpower duel at stat 7 is going to be in a Dreamer crew, you know, when you can pop a Nightmare into base contact with them after they've walked towards you. Um, he also has a trigger on a crow to give a model slow. So, I mean, that's just an mm-hmm. absolute double whammy uh, with Baby Cade. Does he get into a lot of my crews? N- not at all. Um, he, you know, yeah. for eight stones, he, he can definitely be a liability, but it's definitely not out of the question. Got it. Got it. So expanding our, our uh, scope a little bit, um, I want to learn more about, because we have a lot of stones to play with after your core. Um, can we talk about some other tech pieces that you bring in based off of not only the strategies, but is there some other tech pieces we haven't talked about that maybe are scheme dependent? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely one to bring doppelganger in as a versatile model, um, depending on this, the scheme pool. Um, I mean, her ability of don't mind me is, is just fantastic. I mean, everyone knows the ability to drop a scheme marker in base contact when you're about to dig someone's grave or to get that last scheme marker you need for whatever um, while you're engaged is, is just huge. Um, you know, doppelganger also can mimic other models as a bonus action. Um, and the thing about this mimic now in this edition is it says the stat for the action is considered to be equal to the stat for this action. And her stat for a mimic is a seven. 
So oh, that's if you, good. If you copy Lord Chompy Bit's heavy claws, you're swinging oh. at stat seven, three, four, six damage. Thank God it's a bonus. Y- yeah, I mean it's a bonus, and she can charge. Right, and but I mean, like, thank God she can only do it once. <laughs> well, no, she she gets that action for the entire for for her activation. So, oh, no kidding. So the bonus grants her the action, then she can use it for the other two actions? Y- yes, yes. Oh, dude. One of the target's non-bonus actions that does not attach upgrades or list a model by name. Non- oh, that sounds, real, that sounds really good. That non-master sounds Non-master only. So non-master. Um, so yeah. you know, he's not a master. He's just a henchman. And it says until in oh. phase, you treat the selected action and its triggers as, if, as though it were printed on this card. I am surprised that we have not heard more crying about that model. That is, that's very interesting. Um, I just assumed when you were telling me that it was just his bonus or her bonus, I should say. So, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, she gets to do it once, but if that kind of activates her to allow her to do it for the <laughs> other two. Um, wow. That's cool. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and you know, you know, and just real quick, it, yeah. here's, here's another thing that I've got to uh, fanboy over three about is, that's that's not what she did in two, but that's how she felt in two, um, which I think is really cool. So it seems to me like doppelganger is still doppelganger, um, even though mechanically she's a little different. So that's neat. Absolutely. And and notably, she also has the 12 inch lure as an attack action targeting willpower on a six with great triggers. So, again, another option to reach out and get those nightmares yep. on the field. And, and her existing hurts your need for Cade. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't consider Cade because I have doppelganger really. Yep, I mean, yep. when we're being real about it. Very, very cool. Um, is there any other key ones we need to know about? Yeah. Oddly enough, this is a model I'd like to talk about. Cause I've always been a fan of his story. Um, and I think he's fantastic in this edition and fantastic with dreamer and that's Tuco Ortega. No kidding. Very cool. I am dying to hear this. I mean, Tuco Ortega, who'd have thunk it? Well, this guy, he deploys from the shadows and he has stealth. So right there, I have a node up front on the field of play that's going to make you have to react to that. So I'm I'm asking you to come to me. um, And and, and this guy has a willpower attack as a bonus action that is six-inch range at a stat six. Uh, It's called Disillusion, and it says move the target up to its move in inches with a trigger to give distracted one. So, mm. you know, this guy can walk twice, uh, 10 inch range with a six inch reach. I mean, that's 16 inch threat range deploying from the shadows to pop a nightmare up in your opponent's crew before they even get started on turn one. Yeah. I was about to say that could happen. Turn one. If it with, with the activation order in the right order. Yeah, that, that is definitely the hope. Um, another model that does that is the Bandersnatch. Um, movement six on the Bandersnatch, uh, and then again, a willpower attack as a bonus at six inch range with a stat yeah. six. So you got a couple of different really fast models that can get up the board and, and really try to disrupt as early as possible to start soaking some actions from your opponents. I'm, I'm glad to see that Ortega is going to get some play in this edition because I, I've always liked the sculpt and you hinted at it. The, uh, just the fluff of him is great. Um, so that, that makes me happy that he'll get play. Yeah. And his custom shotgun is actually pretty decent too. I mean, it's something you don't see a lot in Neverborn having some ranged guns with some blasts, but you know, it's got three triggers, which are all good. And, uh, you know, I've gotten some good use out of his shotgun on the field as well. So, um, you know, Tuco is not someone to look over. 
That's good. That's good. Um, Matt, can you give me an idea of maybe three or four schemes that you just love taking Dreamer into? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a big fan of, like I said before, take prisoner with Dreamer. Um, I think his crew has so many options to move enemy models around um, that that he can really do this scheme as easy as can be. And and most notably, Serena Bowman on her twist reality attack has a trigger on a tome, which isn't used by really anyone else in the crew. That um, says enemy only place the target and. Uh, within six inches of its current location. Um, it's a hole in the world trigger. So, you know, with that, you're able to reach out to somebody and basically take them prisoner, you know, with one action by pulling them deep into your crew. Yep. Yep. Uh, another one that I like is assassinate. Um, I, I absolutely love going after opponents, masters and putting pressure on my opponent. I feel like that is the main tenet of a dreamer crew is to constantly apply pressure to your opponent to make them, make bad decisions, get frustrated and kill things they don't need to kill. Yep. So notably, I think those are my, my two, um, you know, I'll, I'll live with hold up their forces, vendetta, um, pretty much anything that doesn't involve scheme markers, to be honest. That, that makes sense because you, you may not have the, like you talked about at the very beginning, you may not have the action efficiency um, to really take advantage of having to lay three markers somewhere um, on a given turn to score. Is there any um, schemes that Dreamer does a good job of countering? You, you know, I think Dreamer is out there definitely to score as many points as he can. Yep. Um, his denial game is merely Lord Chompy Bits being able to pick a scheme marker up with Trail of Gore. Um, mm-hmm. or actually physically walking up to their scheme markers and picking them up. So where we don't have a lot of denial, we're, we're going out to score and to eliminate enemy models um, to, to gain the advantage, honestly. So, um, you know, anything's, anything's a go against Dreamer. Yeah, and deleting models is a way of denial, let's be honest. Yeah, and, and that's really the tenet of Dreamer's crew. I mean, they're all murderers. They all have great attack actions that deal a lot of damage. They don't have scheme abilities. They don't have abilities to get more actions. They just kill. So, you, you know, you need to approach the game that way and try to remove your enemy's models or disrupt them enough to soak all of their actions into a you know incidental summon model that's, you know, bogging them down. Yep. Yep. Well, boy, that, um, that, that's, I think, I think having that flexibility is nice, Matt. Um, there's, even though I think there's several models that you've talked about, um, that all do different things, there's still that thematic tie in the keyword, um, which makes me happy. It, um, reminds me a little of Yen Lo, um, in that way where Yen Lo has a pretty diverse pool to pick from. Um, and, but they, they still feel like they should be together, but there's definite tech pieces involved. Um, what we're going to do, Matt, is we're going to take one more break. And when we get back from this break, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about, um, you know, what do you learn after you've played Dreamer 10 times? Um, so let's talk a little bit about second level play. And then uh, we need to figure out how to handle this guy. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be right back. Awesome. So, Matt, I've been, um, you know, p- trying to really focus on two masters um, as I've, you know, been uh, uh, cut my teeth on three. And and I'm glad I am 
not focusing on five masters because I'm noticing as I get more and more reps in on these two masters that uh, new layers um, of the onion are getting peeled apart and I'm finding new things that are very situational that could end up winning me a game later on. So I would really would like to get a sense from you. Um, you know, first time I put Dreamer on the table, I've read his cards. He's going to play a certain way. I kind of get what he said. Um, but I would imagine that, you know, after 10 or 15 reps of Dreamer, there's been the things that you've kind of noticed about him that may not be obvious from the go. So I'd like to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. That that's just getting into, um, how to use him as a disruption master, um, to get your opponent making poor decisions. Um, you know, you have to build your crew around willpower duels, um, that you know that you can get off. Um, and, and it takes time to get to that to that point uh, with Dreamer because there's just so much going on. There's so many different models in his crew um, that you really have to focus on a few of them, learn what they do, and learn how they help support each other to make the crew wholly effective. You know, it's one thing to hear about a crew secondhand and how powerful it can be in the hands of a good player, but I think yeah. the time and effort it takes to get to that point um, is with Dreamer. Uh, it took time. You know, I think he is definitely one of those learning curve masters that, you know, you're not going to start hit the ground running like Nekama where you can charge in and, you know, smack something in the face at stat seven with a sword. Um, you have to learn how to utilize your resources available and put them in the right place. Um, otherwise, you'll fold like a lawn chair against certain crews. And, and and remind me, Matt, there was there was what were the three cards that he summoned with? Was it a nine, ten and eleven? Or is it 10, 11, 12? I can't remember. Well, the notable summons are 9, 10, and 11. That would be your Alp, which is a significant model, a Sitch Together, and an Insidious Madness. Uh, the Daydream would be summoned on a 7. Got it. And, and, and having played summoners, especially like Nico, you know, the first time you get to play these guys, you're like, oh, if my card's high enough, I know exactly what model I'm going to summon in the highest one I can for the card that I have. Um, I would imagine that some there's some second level play of saying that, you know, I might have the 12, which means I could summon any of them, but I, I know that this lower uh, cost model is going to be the, the tool I need for the job. Yeah. Cause you need to allocate that 12 to something else. It, it can't be, it can't be over costed or overused. You know, if you only needed a 10 and you're using a 12, yeah, that that's really tough to swallow for a dreamer player. Yeah, and and there's there's a lot of resource management that I'm hearing um, here too. Whether it be resource management from Go and deciding how many stones to have, um, and um, really really knowing where to do it, um, and you know, disruption crews are so frustrating to play against. But again, when you're on the other side of the table playing a disruption crew. There's a lot of tough decisions deciding where you're going to focus that disruption um, because it's no good if I lock down the center of the board um, and, you know, I get taken from my flanks or I lock down the left hand of the board and get taken from my flanks. Um, so it um, it sounds to me like he's he's a he's a master that you just got to get your reps in. Absolutely. Yep. He, he's going to take time to understand how, how he works. Um, and, and another thing that I've learned over the, the many games I've played with him is, again, kind of the nuanced opinion about Lucid Dream. Um, the first few times you use it, you're going to be kind of blown away like, wow, I'm pulling all these cards out of the deck. But the more you use it, the more you see that red joker discarded 
The more yeah. you, you start noticing those 13s and 12s and 11s you constantly discard and, and how often your hand sucks. Um, and your opponent doesn't know that. So it's really important for you as, as a player to physically kind of keep your, your attitude up like you have the cards when you really don't. Um, how many times my opponents could just come in on me when I'm sitting on a bunch of fours is incredible. But they don't know that. They're, they're worried about the fact I'm mo- removing cards and summoning models and doing all this stuff. Um, they forget that, you know, th- there's a hand of cards involved, too, you know. Well, and anybody anybody who's ever done a triple negative damage flip and flipped a 12, an 11, and a 2 knows, you know, just how common it is to to be in the situation when you've done that lucid dream and you've, you've had to discard those two severes. Yeah, definitely. It's it's not always the perfect situation with lucid dream. So, you know, yep. it's, it is what it is, but th- there are ways to combat that. And, and and to be clear, there's nothing that we've said, Matt, in the last hour and a half that in any any way has lowered the rage people have about <laughs> no, lucid dreams. No, but, okay, <laughs> we we do deserve a small trophy for trying, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I play the dude. I have to defend it. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. So let's let's talk about um, things that uh, that dreamers afraid of. Um, let's talk about how to counter, which really sounds like a powerful crew. Now I've got a little bit of a surprise for you matt um there is somebody also in your meta that uh, snuck in a question at the last minute and it's somebody you actually have played a good bit it's another guy named matt and uh matt is asking a question which i when i heard the question i suspected maybe he's played you before so let's hear what matt wants to ask matt hello this is matt from portland oregon my question is Given how often I see Serena Bowman hired into a Dreamer crew, is there a way that I can minimize her effectiveness, or is that a game that you want me to play? Am I just wasting my time? So, Matt, how, how does Matt handle the fact that your first hire is Serena Bowman? How, how, what is the best way to deal with her? I, I think the best way to deal with Serena Bowman is to deal with Serena Bowman. Um, you know, there, there is the caveat that she cannot be targeted by claw attack actions from a charge action. I mean, she, she has disguise, which is discouraging as can be, but you know, we, we also have options to move our models up the field, uh, give them focus and, and utilize single attack actions to, to do damage. Um, you know, if there's any model in the crew that you want to take down early, it's Serena Bowman. Um, I, I definitely would advise any player playing against dreamer to put in the effort hire a model that you know is capable of getting in there and putting the pressure on, um, you know, maybe even two models. Um, It's not futile. Uh, Her demise ability does require a card. And once you've done it once, you know, you're you're down to those four wounds. And, um, you know, I've I've seen her go down many times through a concerted effort, (laughs) Um, which in, in the long run hurts my, my crew overall. Um, so it, it's, it's just one of those things. It, it slows down the tempo of my crew to remove her and notably daydreams as well. I, I would say, uh, I think that's good. And it, um, you know, with every model that, um, it, you know, is a craw on somebody's rear end, it, um, you, you have to make that decision, it, which is, and this is really what I think Matt was hinting at here. And his question was, you know, am I better off ignoring her or, you know, uh, going through the, the pain in the ass process of, of taking care of her. And if I read what you just said correctly, Matt, you're saying it's worth the effort to try to get her off the board. 
It, it, it absolutely is. It, it, you leaving her on the board just adds tempo and longevity to my crew, it, it, no matter what. So if it takes a few models, two or three models to just pa- jump on her and get her off the board, it'll be in your best interest. Um, you know, there's a lot of models in the game that are like this, uh, that require multiple models coming in and, and just wasting activations to kill. But when she's gone, th- those models are free to do whatever they want. And I'm down a model. Yeah. And, and, and it hurts you. It hurts you. What, so what are other things that, uh, that, that scares you, uh, when the, uh, opponent reveals their crew or when you're they're start to, uh, go, you know, start doing things on turn three, what, what are you scared of on turn three? Well, in general. So, what, yeah, what, what do you like to, what do you prefer not to see happening? <laughs> well, I, I prefer to see the opponent not being aggressive and coming into my kitchen and disrupting the pedestal that I want Dreamer standing on. You know, mm-hmm. you play Molly, so you know how it is to put that support master in a position midway up the field and stay there and just control yep. the battlefield from that position. Um, it's in the best interest of the opponent to move that position to where they don't want to be. Uh, you don't have to kill Dreamer or kill Molly, you know, or Lucius or whichever support master is back there just having a heyday with you. You just need to displace them, move them, make them spend cards to, you know, defend themselves or stones to mitigate damage. Um, so, you know, th- th- that is my number one key advice is to be aggressive. You know, he's coming at yeah. you aggressively. You have to come at him aggressively. It, and it's it, it's something that you and I have talked about a few times now, which is that pressure. And <laughs> we all know what it feels like to have the pressure put on us. But you, you, you don't realize what an impact because a lot of, when you put pressure on your opponent, a lot of stuff that that is resulting from that pressure is hidden from you, which are things that they didn't do think choices. They didn't make cards. They didn't play. And the bat, the, the tough decisions you force them into. And when you're under pressure, you see all of it. Um, when you're putting on the pressure, you don't see as much of it. So, uh, not a huge fan of the fact that you revealed that about Molly, but that's okay, Matt, <laughs> but, you, but you're hundred percent right. I want Molly in the center of the board. I want her to see as much as possible. I want you to go, God, that, you know, serene continence is such a pain in my behind a kiss and there's there's some healing and, you know, I'm just not going to bother with her. I'm a huge fan of you having that perspective. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, if, if the, these models are one walk away from being wholly effective, they're, they're a problem, you know, and and being in that center position, you're basically one walk away, two actions away from seriously affecting the game state. And if you're pushing these models off of that point, their actions are wasted maneuvering or whatever else. Yeah. If, if, if we're spending time with uh, making dreamer walk, um, if we're spending time making dreamer stone yep. uh, to prevent damage because he's, you know, he's down to three wounds um, though, or, you know, forcing him to spend a 12 or a 13 to defend himself. Um, those are, those are critical resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, ways to combat him, um, in my opinion would be at the, at really at the hiring phase. I think that's where you have to start, um, going at a dreamer cruise. If someone's declaring dreamer, it's just like hearing Seamus or any terrifying crew. You need to look at your ruthless options. Um, I, I, I know yeah. most factions have them. Um, and, and they exist. So with that, you just hire one or two ruthless options 
and and use them effectively. I mean, you'll see how I start to maneuver away from (laughs) those models with certain models. Um, And that's affecting me. That's affecting my ability to do what I want to do and score the points I want to score. You know, so I think looking into that and finding out what your faction has to offer in terms of Ruthless is key. Uh, secondly, I always, you know, tell people, look at to range options as well. Uh, snipers are a problem for me. Anything that shoots mm-hmm. 12 to 14 inches is a problem. Um, I, I'm kind of a bubble crew. You know, Dreamer sits there with his Serena and his Daydreams, and they, you know, kind of orchestrate the fight from that position. And if you're able to pop a Daydream a turn, you know, shoot at Dreamer to make him discard a card to then pop a daydream a turn. You know, that's all pressure and that all drives a Dreamer pl- player crazy. You know, they're going to be moving away from that sniper or from that shooting element um, as opposed to, you know, doing what they want to do. Well, and it gets it gets to what you've already talked about, man, which is messing with your kitchen, right? Um, you, you're going to go in with Dreamer and you're, there's there's a, there's a definite thing you want to see happen and it sounds to me like anything the opponent can do to to twist that reality um, (laughs) is 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 going to is going to hinder your ability to win the game absolutely very cool my friend um boy uh so this was our first neverborn deep dive um and i'm really glad it was it was on dreamer um and uh man i i enjoyed it man uh it's obvious that you've played them a good bit um and uh i have a sneaking suspicion there's a lot of neverborn players that uh have been starving and uh you just gave them a nice uh a nice dinner so uh two things one we got to uh we got to uh, talk you into coming back so that we can um talk about some more Neverborn, so uh, we can get a little bit more of a broader coverage here on the third floor uh, podcast. And two, um, I uh, really want to um, talk at some point on a future episode about that Pacific Northwest meta. Um, I've been, you've reached out to me. I've had a couple other people up there reach out to me. Um, we've got the USFO tour coming up. Um, and uh, I think that you guys have a very exciting meta happening up there that um, is maybe isn't even totally fully formed. Um, but, uh, it seems it has a, like, has a lot of momentum. Um, so I'm going to have to, uh, may- maybe get you guys on the show, um, to talk about uh, some of the exciting stuff you got going on up there. Absolutely. The game's been out less, less than a month at this point, And, uh, there's a huge buzz. I mean, everyone's coming back from second edition. Uh, we have pretty much the whole I five corridor from Portland up to Bellevue buzzing about this game and, and, and getting That's tournaments great. organized and getting people back in and playing on regular game nights. Um, so it, it is, it is sort of a, a budding meta, um, that I hope to, you know, be a powerhouse in the future. <laughs> good, 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 good. Uh, so, Matt, is there uh, is there anything um, that the listeners should know about? Some plugs that you want to get out there? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd simply just like to plug our uh, PDX meta here. I I run a game night Tuesday nights down there at the Portland Game Store uh, off of Killingsworth uh, in Portland, Oregon, on Tuesday nights. Uh, we start typically around five p.m. and go till close. Um, you know, I know there are a lot of Malifaux players uh, in the area that we have not met yet. I mean, we see the product go off the shelves and we're wondering, you know, where are these people? So <laughs> I, I know there are people in, in our community that maybe listen to your podcast that that I don't even know yet. So, you know, I'd like to put the word out that that's where we meet. Um, we do have tournaments there uh, occasionally. And um, the, the, the nearest tournament is actually coming up this Saturday. 
um, at the Mox Boarding House up in Bellevue. So I'm not sure if the podcast will be out in time to plug it, but you know, it, it, it's coming up this Saturday and that's kind of the big thing we're going to go do. Yeah, it, it probably will be in the past by the time we release this. But um, I have you ever been up to that store? Oh, yeah, I've been there many a times. So I've heard it's pretty cool up there that that's kind of a kind of a neat shop. Yeah, the Mox Boarding House is really uh, an unbelievable shop. Uh, it's really high end. I'd call it like a five star restaurant in terms of game stores. It has a restaurant, a bar, a whiskey room, um, all of which you can openly play board games RPGs, whatever you want to do um, in a setting that feels like you're at a restaurant. That's cool. Yeah, their, their tournament room is huge. It has screens and really great tracking and support for anyone that wants to run tournaments there in terms of, you know, digital tech to organize and to, you know, make it feel like you're at something really special, um, which is important, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that sounds like the kind of place where even the magic players take showers. <laughs> well, we're in the Northwest, my friends. So yeah. So do you, you just might smell a bunch of patchouli and that's it. You're damn right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little something right. else too, but Hey, that's true. <laughs> that's funny, man. All right, man. Uh, we're going to definitely, uh, definitely have to talk again soon. And, uh, I do appreciate you spending the time and, uh, for everybody listening, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for having me on, Craig. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and write a review on this podcast so we can find more people almost as cool as you are. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for Third Floor Wars. That's T-H-I-R-D. We'll catch you next time on The Third Floor Wars.